Welcome to the Temple Baptist Church Podcast, coming to you from Swan River, Manitoba, Canada. This week, we join Pastor Neil Effa as he preaches from John chapter 13, verses 34 to 35, and 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 to 12, in part four of an Advent sermon series called Gift Exchange, with this message from December 22nd titled, Our Gift to One Another. At the very heart of Christmas is the giving and the receiving of gifts. And for many people, Christmas would not be Christmas without the exchanging of gifts. How gift giving became a part of the tradition of Christmas is not clear. But since the Magi arrived with their gold, gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh, gift giving and receiving have been part of Christmas. Because our culture has been so enamored with the purchasing and giving of gifts, I thought it would be helpful spending some time discussing this topic. And as a result, we are in a preaching series, which I have titled Gift Exchange. But rather than focusing on the commercialism of the season, I wanted to focus on gifts of an enduring nature. Therefore, in this series, we have already discussed God's gift to us, as described and detailed in John chapter 3, verse 16. Here we read, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. God the Father sent his one and only son into this world to die on a Roman cross in order that we may be delivered from sin and its consequences. Although we celebrate the birth of Jesus at Christmas, we cannot forget that over the stable of Bethlehem was the cross of Christ. The purpose of Jesus coming to earth was to provide and to offer us salvation. But we also spend time talking about our gift to God And we ask the question, what do you give a God who has everything? Well, according to Romans chapter 12, verse one, Paul says that we are to give to him our consecrated worship as expressed in surrender and obedience. He writes, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Worship is living our entire life for the honor and glory of God. As we conclude this series this morning, I would have you consider with me one other aspect of gift exchange, our gift to one another. In the next few days, you in all probability will receive gifts from either parents, children, friends, coworkers, employers, fellow employees, students, grandparents, and neighbors. Some will be expected, others a surprise. Some practical, others sentimental. Some useful, others not so much some extravagant and others modest. It might be the latest television, cell phone, video game system, or kitchen appliance, or it may be gift cards to your favorite restaurant, coffee shop, or department store. You may unwrap beautiful jewelry, designer clothing, or some sort of sporting equipment. You may receive an envelope with cash or tickets to a music concert or theatrical event or a voucher for a night out without the kids. As good and appreciated these gifts may be, there's one problem. There's a good possibility that these gifts will wear out, they'll break down, they'll go out of style, they'll get misplaced, they'll be consumed, or they'll become obsolete. The gifts we exchange with each other at Christmas are material, temporal, and they do not last forever. But according to the Bible, there is one gift that we can give each other that never fails, that never ends, and which will abide forever. And what is that gift? Well, I think you have a pretty good idea as to what it is. 
It's a gift of love. It was the apostle Paul who said, so now abide faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. And listen to this exhortation given to us by the apostle John. In first John, he writes, beloved, let us love one another for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. And Jesus throughout the gospels gave to us a command to love one another. For example, just before his crucifixion, as he gathered with his disciples in the upper room to observe Passover, he turned to them and said, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples. If you have love for one another, there is no getting around Jesus command. We can't explain it away. We can't pretend it doesn't apply to us. We can't excuse ourselves from it. We can't try to find some hidden underlying meaning behind his words. He says very simply and very clearly love one another. It sounds good, but can we do it? After all, people can be so irritating. They can be so obnoxious and so rude and not just people outside of Christ, but believers as well. Someone said, we sing the chorus. I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. And then we look at the person across the church from us and we muse. I'm surprised they're part of the family of God. And another person said to live above with those we love. Oh, how that will be glory. To live below with those you know. Now that's another story. I think you and I would agree that this simple command is not as easy to obey as we would like it to be. There are times we say to ourselves, it's impossible to love that person. But let me ask you, would Jesus give to us a command that was impossible to carry out? Would he tell us to do something that he knew we would fail at time and time and time again? I don't think so. As we consider the importance of extending to one another, the gift of love, let me begin by defining and describing this biblical virtue. Movies and music and novels and drama and poetry each take their turn trying to explain love to us. Scientists have weighed into the discussion as well with their attempt to reduce the complexities of love to chemical reactions in the brain. We give time to therapists and counselors when love grows cold. We favor mediation and negotiation when relationships go south. But in spite of all these things, we still struggle to get a handle on this subject of love. The website, Good to Know, reported the response of a group of children aged four to eight to the question, what does love mean? And the answers are broader and deeper than anyone could have imagined. Listen to some of these responses. Rebecca, age eight, said, when my grandmother got arthritis, she couldn't bend over and paint her toenails anymore. So my grandfather does it for her all the time, even when his hands got arthritis too. That's love. 
Carl, age five, said, love is when a girl puts on perfume and a boy puts on shaving cologne and they go out and smell each other. (laughs) Terry, age four, replied, love is what makes you smile when you're tired. Bobby, age seven, put it this way, love is what's in the room with you at Christmas if you stop opening presents and listen. Nika, age six, shared this insight. If you want to learn to love better, you should start with a friend who you hate. Claire, age six, acknowledged, my mummy loves me more than anybody. You don't see anyone else kissing me to sleep at night. Chris, age seven, explained, love is when mummy sees daddy smelly and sweaty and still says he's handsomer than Robert Redford or Brad Pitt. Lauren, age four, gratefully said, I know my older sister loves me because she gives me all her old clothes and has to go out and buy new ones. Jessica, age eight, responded by saying, you really shouldn't say I love you unless you mean it. But if you mean it, you should say it a lot. People forget. But maybe the most heart-stirring goes to a four-year-old boy whose next-door neighbor was an elderly gentleman who had recently lost his wife. Upon seeing the man cry, the little boy went into the old gentleman's yard, climbed onto his lap, and just sat there. When his mother asked him what he had said to his neighbor, The little boy said, nothing. I just helped them cry. As helpful as these insights are, they still don't define love for us. They are important descriptions and demonstrations of love. But what does love mean? I agree with Charles Wendall who asks, have you ever tried to define love? It can be like trying to grab a fistful of rain. We know love is real. Our hearts soak it up like a cotton shirt sops up a spring shower, and its absence leaves us parched and dusty. Yet a compact, easy-to-grasp definition sometimes eludes us. Love, it seems, is easier to detect than to define. I think St. Augustine also found it easier to describe love than to define it. He offers this description. Love has a hand to help others. It has feet to hasten to the poor and needy. It has eyes to see misery and want. It has ears to hear the sighs and sorrows of men. That is what love looks like. He rightly understood love to be an others-centered activity rather than self-satisfying emotion. But in the church as well as in our culture, there is often confusion about love's meaning. What does it mean to love? Not just in abstract terms, but in concrete, practical terms. What does it mean that God has called Christians to love one another? The Bible points to the example of Jesus. In Jesus, we get the true definition of love. The apostle John wrote, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and our sisters. No explanation of love's meaning is easier to understand than the statement of what Jesus did for those he loved. He gave himself. He sacrificed his life for those he loved. As his followers, we are to do the same. Sacrifice, then, is at the very core of love. Commentator F.B. Meyer wrote, Wherever there is true love, there must be giving, and giving to the point of sacrifice. And Andy Stanley in his series, Who Needs God, says, if you do not sacrifice for someone they do not know that you love them. Isn't this precisely what God did for us? He wanted a relationship with us, so he sacrificed his son. Jesus wanted to bring us into that relationship with his father, so he sacrificed his life on the cross for us. 
Sacrifice was at the very core and is at the very core of their love. And sacrifice needs to be at the very core of our love. Because the extent of our sacrifice reveals the depth of our love. Could our love for one another grow if we loved more sacrificially? Could it be that we want the feeling of love before we demonstrate our love? What if it was the other way around? What if sacrifice for another precedes the feeling of love? In 1957, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. preached on loving your enemies at Dexter Avenue Baptist Church in Montgomery, Alabama. As he came to the end of his sermon, he said there is a little tree planted on a little hill and on that tree hangs the most influential person who ever came into this world. In the cross of Christ, the love of God has broken through into human history. Now we know what love looks like in a world filled with hatred, distrust, bitterness, pain, misunderstanding, mistreatment, and abuse. Through his death on the cross, Jesus revealed to us the very essence of love. Love is self-giving. Love is sacrificial. It is giving of our time, our energy, our finances, our expertise, our possessions, our talents for the blessing and the uh, benefit of someone else. So in light of this, let me make three applications concerning sacrificial love. I would first suggest that meaningful relationships can only be forged through sacrificial love. If there is going to be any depth to our relationships, we must be willing to give ourselves to others. We must be willing to lay aside our rights and our privileges, just as Jesus did. If we are unwilling to love sacrificially, our relationships will remain superficial. On the other hand, sacrificial love moves us into deeper and more meaningful relationships. But if that is going to happen, it requires vulnerability on our part. C.S. Lewis wrote in his book, The Four Loves, to love at all is to be vulnerable. Love anything and your heart will be wrung and possibly broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give it to no one, not even an animal. Wrap it carefully around with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in the casket or coffin of your selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable. To love is to be vulnerable. And therefore, only then will we be able to develop meaningful relationships through that kind of vulnerable, sacrificial love. Secondly, sacrificial love awakens the believer to see God. Remember the words of Jesus. He said, by this, all men will know you are my disciples. If you have love for one another. If we need the symbol of the fish on our car. Or a, what would Jesus do wristband, a Christian t-shirt or a clever, clever bumper sticker to convince a world that we know Christ, then we know little of Christ. Love is a sign that Jesus gave us to display to the world. Love is a bumper sticker of our faith. But why did Jesus say love would be the evidence that we are his followers? 
Why didn't he say that people would know that we are his followers if we are theologically sound or if we are an active member of the church or if we're involved as a member in our community or if we have great gifts, talents and skills or if we are known for our accomplishments like a thriving business or a successful career. Why did he say that, Jesus, that people would know us as his followers if we have love for one another? I think the reason is because love is the most unexpected act in the sinful world for which Satan has no counterfeit. In a self-seeking, greedy world where each person looks out for themselves, an unselfish act of pure love is a strike of a match in the looming darkness. It is so different and so welcome that all who see it take notice of it. Although an act of love can be as quiet as a whisper, even anonymous, the act itself screams of God. Love is God's loudspeaker of truth to the world. And we are to display it visibly wherever we go. As the apostle John reminds us, let us not love in in word or talk, but rather in deed and in truth. Tertullian, a church leader in Carthage, Africa, around the end of the second century wrote, it is our care for the helpless. Our practice of loving kindness that brands us in the eyes of many of our opponents. Only look, they say, look how they love one another. When Ira, Ira Gillett, missionary to East Africa, returned home to report on his activities overseas, he related an interesting phenomenon. Repeatedly, Gillett had noticed how groups of Africans would walk past government hospitals and travel many extra miles to receive medical treatment at the missionary compound. He finally asked a particular group why they walked the extra distance when the same treatments were available at the government clinics. And their reply, the medicines may be the same, but the hands are different. That's a virtue of love incarnated. That kind of love makes a difference. Christ has no hands, but our hands, no feet, but our feet. We are his ambassadors representing him to the world. And when we love as he has loved us, when we love sacrificially, it will make the difference. People will notice Christian love is indispensable. And then finally, to love sacrificially, we must live under the umbrella of God's love. In other words, we must be confident and secure in Christ's love for us. Over and over again, we are challenged to love one another. We have heard this command so many times that our ears can become dull and our eyes blind to what Jesus is commanding us to do. But I want to ask, how can we give something we ourselves have not experienced? If we long to be loving, we must accept the love God has poured out through us, his son, Jesus Christ. Paul says in Ephesians chapter Five verses one and two. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. In light of this, I think of the apostle John. John knew Christ's love in a deep, powerful and personal way. When you trace his steps through the pages of scripture, you discover that he was only a few steps away from Jesus most of the time. At the end of his life, when he was exiled on the island of Patmos at the age of 90, 
He wrote the book of Revelation. And as he was writing about Christ, he talked about him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood. But perhaps the most telling thing about John is how he described himself, the disciple whom Jesus loved. His deepest and truest identity was centered in the reality that God loved him. It was the essence of how he thought of himself. As he pondered such love, he was led to write, see what kind of love the father has given to us that we should be called children of God. See the kind of love the father has bestowed upon us that he has given to us. He has given us this privileged status position in his family. We're children of God. I'm convinced that we will never be free to love one another as we're commanded to love until we are secure in the love that God has for us in Christ. It is a confidence that nothing in this world or in the world to come will ever be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Until then, unless we, until we discover our identity in Christ through his love, we're going to encounter barriers to love. Barriers like judgmental attitudes, fear, and selfishness, just to name a few. On the other hand, living under the umbrella of God's love will result in us knowing and accepting and forgiving and serving others. I like what Max Lucado says. He says the secret to loving is living loved. The secret to loving is living loved. If we're going to love one another, we got to live under the umbrella of God's love and, and soak that love in. Understanding our position in Christ, our identity in Christ. And so let me take you back to the words Jesus spoke to his disciples only a few hours before his crucifixion. He said, just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. Jesus set the standard for love. Therefore, if we're going to love like Jesus, we've got to become more mindful and less detached. We have to become more approachable and less exclusive. We have become more graceful and less judgmental. We have to become more bold and less fearful. We have to become more self-giving and less self-absorbed. And so what can we give each other this Christmas and all throughout the year that won't wear out, that won't break down, that won't go out of style, that won't get misplaced, that won't be consumed or become obsolete? We must give love. Love never fails. It never gives up. It never goes out of style. It abides forever. So in light of that, Charles Swindoll offered these ideas as how to, we, how to give love throughout the year. Let me share with you a, a number of these. He says, give an hour of your time to someone who needs you. Give a note of encouragement to someone feeling down. Give a hug of affirmation to someone in your church family or in your personal family. Give some time to someone who is lonely. Give a meal to someone who is sick. Give a word of compassion to someone who has suffered a loss. Give a second chance to the fallen. Give a deed of thoughtfulness to someone who is often overlooked. Give a gentle response to the frustrated. Mend a quarrel. Forgive an enemy. Seek out a forgotten friend. Release a grudge. 
enter into another's sorrow. Speak kindly to a stranger. Let's make Christmas one long, extended gift of ourselves to others. Unselfishly, without announcement, or obligation, or reservation, or hypocrisy. After all, that is the essence of Christmas. Biblical love can only come, however, from the source. And the source is God himself. Paul says in Romans 5, 5, God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Therefore, in the power of the Holy Spirit, give to one another, not only this Christmas, but throughout the year, the gift of love. I'm going to ask you to bow as I pray. Father, in this season of gift exchange, may we remember the gift that you have given to us, your son, the Lord Jesus Christ, and the salvation that he provided, if by faith we receive it. And Father, I pray that we would remember the gift that you want from us, our consecrated worship through surrender and obedience. And so may daily we place ourselves on that altar of sacrifice, as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to you. And Father, may we also remember that you want us to exchange the gift of love to each other. But that is our distinguishing mark as a Christian. That it reveals to the world that our lives have been transformed by the power of the gospel. Father, I pray that we would demonstrate such love, continue to do so day after day in the power of your spirit. And so, Father, once again, we just thank you for the, the focus that we have been able to give at this time of year, to rehearse and to remember, to ponder in our hearts the significance of your coming to this earth. And Father, we realize that we'll never be able to really put all the pieces together that there'll be things that will continue to baffle us and amaze us. But that truly is the wonder of the gospel, the wonder of the good news. And so we praise you for revealing your son to us and offering us eternal life. We give you thanks in the name of Christ. Thanks for joining us. We hope we were able to provide wisdom and insight in your faith journey. If you would like to connect with us, you are welcome to join our service every Sunday morning at 1030. For more information, you can find us at facebook.com slash TBC Swan River. And if you would like to find more episodes of our podcast, go to anchor.fm slash Temple Baptist Church or search on your favorite podcast app.